Welcome to the Divorce Survival Guide podcast, where we have open and honest conversations about co-parenting, separation, divorce, and the hardest question of all, should you stay or should you go? I'm Kate Anthony, your Divorce Survival Guide, and I'm here to help you navigate some of the roughest waters you've ever swum in and answer some of your toughest questions. I've been to hell and back, and now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. I am your host, your Divorce Survival Guide, Kate Anthony. How y'all doing? Oh, Lord. Well, this episode is uh, a few days late. I usually publish episodes on Tuesdays. And I've actually been re-scrambling my schedule. I had promised that April would begin sex month. And quite honestly, I'm not quite sure uh, if any of us are really thinking about sex. If we're, if you're getting a divorce, you're probably not thinking about sex. If you're already divorced, uh, sure, maybe you were out there dating, but that's not happening anymore. So um, I moved up my legal month. And, um, I've just been doing some scrambling around here to get that, um, off the ground. So I apologize for the delay. If you are one of those people who expects things to happen on a certain day at a certain time, and, uh, it didn't happen for you this week with my podcast, I apologize. Um, I anticipate that most of you are like, what? (laughs) If you're like me, I keep saying to everybody over and over again, um, these days. What is time? What even is time anymore? So um, anyway, we are moving into legal month. And I was also supposed to do a solo episode this week. I just haven't had it in me. And you may have seen my Facebook post um, that I posted in our Facebook group and on my personal page. And I also sent it out to my email list about um, really kind of went to a dark, dark place. Um, earlier this week and over the weekend, I guess. Um, and I mean, if you're listening to this later, this is, we're talking end of March, beginning of April. And, um, I had the father of a close friend pass away from COVID-19, uh, earlier this week. And it just, there was something about that, that really, hit home into a little bit of a darker place for me. And, um, so all that to say, I don't need to get into it here. You've probably read my post, um, or gotten the email about it and I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm just going through what I think almost all of us are going through right now. Um, which is, you know, my post was really about collective trauma and how, we are all dealing with our own individual traumas. Um, most of us are carrying the weight of some kind of trauma, as we talked about in, um, I think, my last episode with Gwyn Ramondi, that we all carry some form of trauma. And now we are carrying a collective trauma. And we are not being properly led to... Um, and, you know, we should be under leadership that makes us feel safe and like things are, are that we're going to be taken care of. And unfortunately, that is really not the case right now. And I think it's worsening the collective trauma and to look down the road and see what's possible if we don't take certain measures and to see that our leadership is not taking um, the steps to um, put those measures in place is pretty scary. You know, I live in California where our governor um, is taking all sorts of measures. I live in Los Angeles where our mayor is taking all sorts of measures. Um, They're citywide, countywide, statewide measures. But I also have friends who live in states that are not being cared for. Um, And so leaving this up to the states as individual um, states to take care of us, uh, I think makes all of us a little bit more vulnerable and more scared and more traumatized. And if you're going through a divorce and you're looking for safety and 
um, security right now. And, um, you know, and then you're facing coronavirus on top of it. This is, this has got layers and layers and layers and layers to it. And, um, Anyway, I just wanted to acknowledge that. And so, you know, I've gotten a lot of um, emails and messages back from you guys. And I just I just want to say thank you. I, I am fine. I really am. I have got so many resources. I have such a wonderful support system. I have a therapist. I have more coaches at my disposal um, <laughs> than most people. And um, I have I have wonderful family and friends. Truly wonderful. And so I am fine. Um, And I appreciate all of your concern. I was just expressing, um, I think, what so many of us are feeling. And uh, sometimes I process my feelings in a moment uh, through writing. Uh, And that's and that's once I've sort of gotten it out, I can I can shift fairly easily and quickly into a better frame of mind. But um, yeah, I definitely went to a dark place this week. And if you are in a dark place right now or have been cycling in and out of dark places, I, I get you. I really do. Like I, I feel you and I'm here for you. And um, you know, I just hope that you find yourself in a place uh, that you have support and if you're not already in my Facebook group and and you're a woman, sorry guys, um, and you need that support, get in there because it, it, that is one thing uh, that my Facebook group provides unrelentingly, I think, is this support, just support and love. Um, it's quite extraordinary. So anyway, uh, I want to shift gears and talk about uh, what we're going to be talking about today, which is mediation. Um, this is, we're kicking off legal month and I'm bringing you first and foremost, uh, one of my favorite people on the planet. Um, my guest today has been on this podcast before. Um, I've been on her podcasts. Uh, she has had two podcasts in the last, uh, you know, she shifted from one to another and I've been on both of them and I don't know why I'm beating around the bush. It's Susan Guthrie. Susan Guthrie, who has 30 years of experience as a top family law attorney and mediator. Susan is nationally recognized as one of the top family law and mediation attorneys in the country. She's been helping individuals and families navigate separation and divorce for, as I said, 30 years. Um, And Susan provides online divorce mediation and legal coaching services to clients around the world. And so this could not be more timely. You know, I keep saying to people in my group that, you know, this does not have to, this uh, virus does not have to put a stop to everything. You can actually continue to work through um, your divorce right now. And what I will say about Susan is that not only does she um, provide online divorce mediation and legal coaching services, she has been spent the last few months coaching, uh, teaching online mediation to mediators. So she is, she is, um, taking mediators all around the country and teaching them how to move their practices online. And that could not be more important right now. Without further ado, I bring you my interview with the amazing Susan Guthrie. Susan Guthrie, welcome back. I'm so thank happy you. you're here. Oh, thank you for having me back. I'm excited to be here. Yeah. Um, we always have such um, rich discussions, usually when a microphone is not on or recording us. So, uh, or sometimes when it is. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Um, so, um, so we're, we're going to have a great conversation about mediation. And, um, so why don't we just start out with like, what, what, what is mediation? That's actually, that is a great place to start because there's actually a lot of misunderstanding around mediation. I remember when I first started looking into it, um, I heard someone describe it as the kinder, gentler way to get divorced. Um, And so everyone has that perception that you have to be like holding hands and 
singing Kumbaya and, <laughs> you know, and, and if, if you really think about it, going and sitting in a room with the person you're getting divorced from, or in my case, I do everything online. So virtually, but, you know, sitting there talking about directly to their face about all of these issues that need to be resolved. It's obviously not the kinder, gentler way, but it is the way where the two of you can sit down like grownups, be respectful to each other, and work together to try and find a way to restructure your family in a way that works best for all of you, most importantly, your children. Um, I'm especially a fan of mediation in cases where the parties have children um, because it lets them sit down, talk about their kids with help, talk about the, all of these issues with help, and I'll talk about what the mediator does. So yeah. it's not like they're sitting down over the kitchen table, arm wrestling over this stuff, and start you know, forming new pathways for communication, which is so important if you have children, even once you're not married anymore, you're still going to have to communicate about your kids. Yes, exactly. I say this all the time, right? We, we, we're, we're always in line on this, Susan, that, you know, you, if, if you have kids, you're going to be tethered to each other for the rest of your lives. And what do you want that to look like? And what do you want it to feel like? Because- exactly. You can, you can do it. You can be bitter and angry and have no communication, but like, is that really how you want to live the rest of your life? <laughs> well, and think about it. Who really gets stuck in the middle of that? Exactly. It's when you and you, yeah. It's when you and your ex can't talk about the fact that Billy's having trouble in math class and decide how to handle that for Billy's sake, then who loses there? Yeah. Billy. Right? Yep. Yeah. Billy is, is poor Billy. Poor Billy. <laughs> exactly. Mom and dad get the act together. God, so Billy's going to be okay. <laughs> but that is, you know, that is one of the reasons why, um, I think mediation is something to try in almost every case. Um, and, and I say that, you know, from a perspective of, I was a, long time family law litigator. You know, I, for the first 20 years of my practice, I went into courtrooms and battled it out because that's what they taught in law school 30 years ago. Yeah. And that's what I learned when I got out of law school and went to work for a firm. And, you know, it didn't take me 20 years to figure out that that did not necessarily bring about a good conclusion for the families that I was working with, but it's all that we knew was there. Yeah. And then mediation started to come into vogue and people started to try it. I found out about it through other colleagues who frankly also knew that litigation was not really working well for families. And for the past 10 years or so, it's really been the main part of my practice. And today that's the only way I help people get divorced um, is through mediation. And, and so there's this, there, there's a, there's a myth, there's a myth maybe that both parties have to want to mediate in order for mediation to actually happen. Yeah. So that's, it's true to say that both parties have to agree to go to mediation. Um, but very often it's the idea of one of them, right? One right. of them wants to, for whatever reason, and mediation has a number of benefits, which I, you know, we can go over, mm -hmm. but usually one of them wants to approach mediation and then they face the task of talking the other one into it. Because the one thing that's very different, and it's actually a benefit of mediation is that it is voluntary as opposed to the adversarial litigation model, which is compulsory right? We serve you with papers. Mm -hmm. We file motions to compel you to do things. Right. We force discovery. We take your depositions. You have to show up. You know, all those things happen. Even in the, the language. Oh, mean, right? The language yeah. Well, so right. It's that's so, um, it's so aggressive and adversarial. It's exactly what it is. And so people are surprised when they get involved in a family law litigation case to find themselves moving further and further apart. But if you really think about it, it's, you know, that whole model is based upon a civil lawsuit, party A versus party B. So it's the guy who rear-ended you and you're suing him for your medical expenses and you, you know, it's his fault and you want to win and get money. Well, the family law divorce litigation model is set up the same way. 
it's husband versus wife or wife versus wife or whatever, you know, it versus let's start right with that. Right. So mediation, a benefit right there is that you're both choosing to come to the table to work together in order to, as I said earlier, restructure your family or restructure your relationship um, going forward. And you have the ability to rather than do that in that compulsory way that is compelled in litigation, you have an opportunity to, as I said, sit down at a table or you know work through an online process to share information, identify the issues that you need to talk about, get help from your mediator to understand the issues and the law around them, but also in having those conversations because most couples who are getting divorced, something has happened along the way where their communication is tanked a little bit. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that's why the mediator. Yeah. By definition, they're not communicating well. (laughs) Usually not. I mean, I get people, honestly, in mediation, I have couples that, I have one couple right now, they are doing everything they possibly can to stay on a good footing because they have a daughter that they both love very, very much and they do not want her stuck in the middle of it. And they are, you know, it's hard, um, but they are, they are, they are working very hard at that. And mediation was the only thing that they would consider. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's what my ex and I did as volatile and horrible as our marriage was when it came down to it, we were like, all right, that chapter's closed. Now we have a new chapter that we're working through and we didn't, we did collaborative divorce, right. um, but we are, you know, but, but we did, we just, everything was put through the lens of what's best for our son. And we communicate all the communication tools that did not work to save our marriage work to save our divorce. <laughs> Yeah, I, that's. I love that about your story. I mean, yeah. you're you you always phrase that so poetically. You know what what d- d- all the tools yeah. and all the therapy you both went through trying to save the marriage. You already had started to reforge those communication pathways. Um, yeah. And I and I just want to collaborative divorce is another wonderful model um, that is also based on a theory of everyone comes to the table voluntarily and yes. is agreed not to go to court to compel things or litigate things or have a judge decide things. You know, that's another thing to know about mediation. In mediation, the two people who are getting divorced are the only people who make the decisions. The mediator is not a judge. They are not there as a quasi judge to make decisions. There's no, you know, I'll tell my story, you tell your story, and someone else is going to decide. The two of you together will agree or not agree. And until the two of you agree on an issue, there's no agreement. So you you both have your ability to sit there, stay, self-advocate until you can craft something that works for you both. And that's what I love about mediation is the goal is not to win or lose. The goal is to come up with the solution that works best for everyone. And, and it's, it's, it's a different paradigm entirely. It really, it really is. It really is. It's, I remember one of the things that um, happened in my collaborative uh, divorce, which, you know, similar is that, you know, uh, it was our house, right. And we were like, who's going to keep the house. And the, we decided ultimately that uh, my ex-husband was going to keep the house, but this was right after the crash. This oh. was in, you know, right after 2008. Everything. It was, <laughs> well, it was, yeah, it was 2010, but still, oh, okay. Yeah. Our house was $250,000 underwater. Oh yeah. And so for the pleasure of leaving my house, I was going to have to give my husband $125,000. And, you know, to his credit, my ex was like, that doesn't make sense. Like, I'm not selling, I'm not selling the house today. This is, you know, I'm, I'm saving it and keep, I will keep it until it becomes an asset. Now he's selling it and he's making a fucking killing. And by the way, I'm pissed because had I stayed on title Title. or, or just negotiated that I would get, but he's also paid the mortgage for all for the last 10 years. So anyway, um, but the point is that had we been going to court, had we been litigating, 
we would, I would either have been forced to give him $125,000 or we would have been compelled to sell the house and split the loss. And, and that was such an eye opener for me that like, if, had we gone through any other, um, you know, and, and what my ex said was like, that doesn't make sense. I'm keeping the house. Can't we just like take the house off the top and then divide all the other stuff, assets and debts below that line. Right. And our collaborative attorney was like, you can do whatever you want. That's why we're doing collaborative divorce. <laughs> you know? And so I, we didn't have to do that, but had we been litigating, we both would have lost, our, we would have lost our shirts. Oh, absolutely. You know, and that's, that is so true. And, and that's what people, that's another benefit of mediation is that the two, you do not have to follow the letter of the law. As long as what you and your ex are agreeing to is not uh, against the law or (laughs) against public policy, you know, you can agree to vary from what a judge would do. A judge doesn't have that latitude. So, and even when they do, judges are hearing hundreds of cases all the time. They don't tend to vary and do a ton of thought about what individually is going to work best for that family. And honestly, with the house, your end outcome likely would have been, in almost all cases, would have been that you had to sell it. Exactly. Because unless the 125 grand was laying around for you to write that check, a judge is, no. right? That, then well, a judge would have just it would have come out of like his retirement, like it would have yeah. come out of other assets. But, you know, fortunately for me, I had an ex-husband who is, who has a fairness gene that's like really strong and it works both ways. It's not just in his favor, right? It's like right. actual, like it's a real genetic it's a thing. It's like, it's real fairness. Yes. And, um, and so it, you know, Thank you know. Fortunately, he was like, "What? That's not fair." <laughs> I was like, Great. well, and most judges would have not done it that way, only because that hundred and twenty-five is an illusory number, right? Because until the house actually sells, you don't actually know what it's worth. Right. It's worth what it will sell for, and until right. you sell it, so really, judges' default when it comes to the house is to sell it, and then, you know, yes, they're going to split that loss between the two of you. So it's a very common thing in mediation and collaborative, but certainly in mediation where as long as the parties know what the law is around the issues they're talking about, they do need to make informed decisions and that's what their mediator is there for. Um, But they can choose to vary from that they can vary from the child support guidelines. They can choose to structure alimony in a different way than perhaps what the guidelines call for if their state has guidelines. They can choose, I mean, we can come up with almost anything that is going to work for that family. And as long as both parties are informed about what the uh, what the impact of that decision will be, right? Or what the, you know, what the outcomes are or, right? They need to do their own due diligence, but also the mediator will help them understand sort of the bigger picture. Right. So the, the mediator's role, even if it's an attorney mediator like I am, is not to act as an attorney for either party because that would violate the you know attorney's ethical code. We can't represent both sides. And so your mediator, even if they're attorney, is a neutral in your case. And we mean that very literally. We are neutral. We are there to support both of you equally as you go through this process. And part of that support is giving you a neutral understanding of the law around the issues. And that can include, in my case, you know, as a litigator for so long, certainly I can tell my clients in mediation, here's what I've seen judges do or what I, I have seen judge, judges tend to do in a courtroom on these issues, like mm-hmm. we just talked about with the house. And I said, what judges usually do is sell the house if there's not an agreement about what to do. Mm-hmm. I can, they can know that I can share that information with them also with the understanding, maybe that's not what would happen in your case, but knowing the law in that neutral fashion, they then can decide whether they want to follow that or if, as you two did, deciding that something else worked better in your situation. And very often you have to remember the laws for divorce about 
distribution of assets, distribution of debt, sharing of income by way of alimony or child support. Those are kind of cookie cutter laws that have been put into place to process the massive number of divorces that happen in this country every year. We have a huge number of divorces that go through our courts. And, you know, like where Connecticut, where I practiced, or California, where I practice, you know, those states, it can take a year or more to get through that court system because there are so many other people going through that court system. And if you need a judge's time and attention, you're going to have to wait for it. So the judges, the laws are somewhat there to be applied to all cases so that there's a prescribed outcome and it can be more cookie cutter. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's not to say the judges don't have some discretion. They certainly do in some areas. But I know that here in Illinois, I was just talking to a financial advisor here in Illinois, and she was saying that Illinois has recently um, enacted alimony guidelines, just like the child support guidelines. And basically that means that it's now a formula that will calculate how much your ch- oh. your alimony is going to be. Yeah. Now, other states that I practice in, in Connecticut and, and California, California has it for during the uh, pendency of the action, during the the time the divorce is pending, but then after that, it's not a a guideline. And in Connecticut, it's just a negotiated number. And there's like schools of thought both ways, but the reason why some states are turning to guidelines is because it makes it more cookie cutter, right? Right. It makes it easier to know. They define about, we just, this is, these are the numbers. It is what it is. And it's going to be that, whether that actually makes sense in your case or not. So there is some good, there in knowing so that you have that. The child support guidelines have been that way for a long time. But alimony is one of those things that, you know, is often the last thing that's negotiated in a case because so many other things kind of rest on it. You know, who's keeping the house, where the children are residing, what one party might be doing with their job. Maybe one of the parties has been a stay-at-home parent and that's a situation the parties want to continue, but now they have to do it in two separate households. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of latitude that's allowed when you can structure the um, support payments in a way that works for the whole family. Yes. So in mediation, it's pretty much all up for, it's, it, it's all up for grabs in that if what the law prescribes doesn't work for you to, you are free to find something else, okay. work out yeah. something else. And we do yeah. a lot of brainstorming. So how do you how do you get someone to let's say like one person wants to mediate, one person doesn't? How how do you have that conversation? Because you know, I'm assuming you're not having that conversation, right? Like rarely, yeah, rarely. <laughs> like you're not trying to convince someone to come over and mediate. Like you have to empower the other party to have that conversation, right? I'm assuming. Yeah, and I, I generally will do that in ways like I tend to only want to talk to the couple together because I don't ever, as their neutral professional, want to be okay. talking to one without talking to the other. Okay. But what I tell people when I, I speak on this topic all the time, because this is the very first question that most people will ask me about mediation besides, you know, what is mediation where where we started is how do I get my husband won't mediate or my wife doesn't want to go to mediation. So the key to getting your spouse to consider mediation is to know what the benefits of the process are. And we've been talking about some of them. It's by agreement. It's, um, it's, you can come up with agreements that do not follow the law. You can do things that work best for you. Some of the others are it's infinitely less expensive than litigation. Um, it's You're paying private. Two attorneys, yeah. right? Like yeah. Yeah. two attorneys to go to court. Where, by the way, half my time in court was spent sitting around talking to my colleagues in the hallway, having a lovely time. I enjoy speaking to my colleagues or my clients. I had nice clients, but we're waiting our turn in that very crowded courthouse that has 50 to a hundred cases on the docket and two or three judges available to hear them. Right. So you're and paying, you're paying me, for that time. you're paying for waiting 600 bucks, $700 an hour to go sit there in a hallway and schmooze with my friends. So right. that wasn't always a great model for the client. So mediation is infinitely less expensive. It's much, much, much faster because, again, you're not waiting for a judge's time. You're not waiting for things to move through the court system. 
it's infinitely less stressful. Yes, there's stress in sitting down and working through these issues, but I cannot tell you how stressful being in an adversarial process with your soon-to-be ex-spouse is. I mean, ad- that adversity and and that fighting and that pulling apart of your family in that fashion is is much more stressful than sitting in a room and trying to be grown-ups and talking about these things. So, and then there are, you know, it's perceived as a much more amicable way to go through divorce, both by the two of you going through it, as well as the outside world. Um, and, and that can matter to people. So what I always say is understand what the benefits of mediation are. Another one is its privacy. Um, I don't want to forget to mention that because if, you have issues that you do not want to air in a public forum or your spouse, for example, they've conducted an affair or they make money under the table or they have a drug habit that might adversely affect their employment, which by the way is not good for either one of you if they lose their job. You can have a private mediation where those issues can be fully discussed and taken into consideration, but they are not in the public forum. So mediation, that's... Because even um, if it's a closed session, whatever, it's in the public record, right? Is that what you're saying? In court, you mean? In court? Yes. So first of all, it's very hard to get it to be in a closed session. Um, The states I practice in, if you wanted the courtroom doors closed and the public removed, Uh, you basically had to have something about the sexual abuse of a child coming in as evidence or something that was really, I mean, I mean high level, not the fact that your husband has an STD and cheated on you, not the fact that there's money made under the table. Those things that I just mentioned, drug addiction, alcohol problems, embarrassing things you've done. Nope. They're just sorry. Out in the open courtroom with as many people sitting in the gallery. Gallery is there. Yeah, and I'll tell you who's there. There's all the attorneys who are sitting around waiting, and their clients. There are people who have nothing better to do, so they go and sit in divorce court. We had our groupies when I was practicing in courtrooms. That's the people so that were there all the time. You've got court personnel. You've got anybody who happens to feel like walking into that room is allowed to sit there. It's an open right. forum. Right. So you're, when we talk about airing your dirty laundry in a courtroom, you are truly airing your dirty laundry. So that is a factor that can wow. be very compelling to get people to mediation. So what I always say to people who want to try the mediation for whatever their reasons are, that's their reasoning. Yep. But here's something that is a benefit that you have because you've been married to this person. You know what motivates your spouse, right? You know whether public perception of them is driving a driver for them, whether I'll tell you money is usually one of them, whether, oh, sure, you know, being right. right. That's almost always something that will get someone to consider mediation. It's so much less expensive it's faster. I've had people whose, you know, spouses were interested in this divorce not taking forever and and that's there. So whatever, you know, narcissists, I will point this out, they tend yes. to care what other people think. Yes. And so they want to be perceived as the good guy or the woman who's, you know, we're trying media we're going through mediation, right? Yes. So it is it could be that, that, that people will perceive you better in a more favorable light for trying mediation. So know what the benefits are, know what motivates your spouse and present it to them as to why mediation suits what their motivating factors are. And that can be extreme and it can be more than one, but know those. So it's not what we do this all the time as human beings. We, it's like the love languages, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I was going to say. <laughs> right? We, we right. like to be hugged, so we hug everyone thinking that's what other people like. No, you know your spouse. Use that. Use yeah. that to your benefit here and come up with the factors. And there are several more um, benefits to mediation um, you know, that, that are out there. I actually have a, a video on my website that explains you know, what is mediation and, and why is it better. Oh. And I go through them all in detail. Let's but, you know, that. We'll link to that in the show notes. Oh, that's a great idea. That's yeah. a great resource for sure. Absolutely. I think that idea about like, communicating with a narcissist, right? Like knowing what they 
knowing what it is that they want, like what's their most, and the idea, like they do, they want to be the good guy. Oh, they they do. Perceived as, right? And so, and this is communication 101, as my listeners know, I talk about this all the time, which is that, you know, we have to communicate with people the way that they need to be communicated with, like, as you said, like love languages. Oh my God, it drives me crazy. It drives me nuts when people, um, talk about how, you know, my love language is this, this, and this. And so or someone said recently, I saw it on a dating site, I think something like the love languages I give best are blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and I'm like, no, you, you, you ask what my love language is and then you work to give me that. That is the point. <laughs> like, read the book. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's not and that I get hard. that a lot. I get that a lot. Right. right? And, so, and people yes. are very focused on what motivates them. And that's why I'm always telling people, even in the m- negotiations with a, a narcissist or with anyone, you, you want to come at it from a perspective of putting on the table, something that is going to motivate them, them. to give you what you want. Right. That's how you get what you want. That's how you get what, that. That's the idea. Like people always say like, a, I made it seem like it was his idea. Well, that, that's actually what it is like, right. It's not about that. It's about, it's about giving them something that they are actually interested in and wanting to go after, which also happens to line up with what you want. So, um, so you do this online. Let's talk about this whole online process. How does that work? And, and can you do it like any state or just the states that you're, what, how does this work for you in in life? Yeah, so I do actually do mediations with people around the world, actually. Um, Right now, I'm doing one in Australia. So there is a little difference in how um, I proceed with them. If it's in a state where I'm licensed, which again, is only Connecticut and California, I can handle everything. I can handle the filing of the paperwork. I can handle the drafting of their separation agreement when they get to the point of of agreeing on everything and really do the entire process with them. Um, But when it's in a state where I'm not licensed, what I do is I still, you know, there's, the issues are the same. The laws may be different. And certainly I educate myself on the laws in all of those states. And I do have the advantage of being a 30 year practitioner in the family law field, you know, to back me up on that. Right. But but I work with couples in mediation. I help them resolve their issues. And then I draft something called a memorandum of understanding. Uh-huh. And they take that to an attorney in the state in which they're in or the country in which they're in, in some cases, and have that drafted into their final paperwork. And I have a network of professionals around the country um, that <laughs> I can refer people to at uh-huh. this point. That, that can handle the paperwork and all of that. Most people who are contacting me want to work with me. You know, they want to work with me for whatever reason uh, they're, they're choosing. I, I do a lot awesome. of, well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> for everybody listening, I hope you guys all hear this. Like, you know, you need an attorney. I, I can, I can vouch for the fact, not that, not that you've mediated anything of mine, but if you're looking for a mediator, Susan Guthrie is my top recommendation. Oh, well, so. thank Thank you. I, 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 I try, you know, I've helped a lot of people in my 30 years get through this process in one way or another, whether it was litigation or mediation or negotiation or, you know, any collaborative, I also have done collaborative divorce. I'm trained in collaborative. Um, the goal is, my goal is always to help them craft that agreement that is going to work best for them. And because I've been doing it for so many years, I have 30 years of helping people do that and the way they've done it. So it may not be that how my clients in the past have done it is the right way for my current clients, but it might start, you know, as I said, brainstorming earlier, it might start the juices flowing, the brain working to start coming up with something that does work for them. And so I do the entire thing online. Um, It's all done through Zoom, through online conferencing. And actually, my clients absolutely love it because there's no sitting in traffic. There's no need to leave work. There's no need to get a babysitter. There's... There's no need to go sit in some strange office. I mean, we try as professionals to make our offices very comfortable for you, and but, but you're still sitting in an unknown place with your soon-to-be ex across the table from you talking about uncomfortable things. So there's a certain amount of 
comfort that people can derive from being in known surroundings. I tell you, most of my clients are sitting on their couch with their dog, you know, and just think about that. If you have to go through a divorce mediation, sitting on your couch in your own home or in your office, or it does need to be somewhere private. I will say that you can't. I had one guy show up for a mediation session and I could immediately tell when I saw the people walking behind him that it was at Starbucks. And I was like, you, you can't do your mediation, which is a private and confidential (laughs) at a Starbucks. That's awesome. yeah, oh yeah. No, I've had I've had a few. So now that's part of my intro with my clients is and by the way, you need to be somewhere private with a good Wi-Fi, secure Wi-Fi connection. Yeah. But clients absolutely everybody these days, I mean, we're on Zoom right now talking to each other and we talk to each other all the time this way. Yeah. You know, times it, a it, week we're all this right? yeah. together. <laughs> it is it, it is the way I, I think I just read a statistic, eighty seven percent of people in the workplace use some type of video conferencing these days. It is not unknown to the world at large how to video conference. So it's, yeah. And, and, and it's, it's especially helpful. I do a lot of high conflict divorce mediation. Um, when I was a litigator, that was one of my specialties. And, um, so you do need, I will say, if you're going to mediate with a narcissist, a borderline, someone along those, those with a high conflict personality or a personality disorder, you do want to make sure you have an experienced mediator and one who knows what they're dealing with because personality disorders tend to take over the process and it can be, you just need someone who's strong enough and knows how to work with that while also not alienating the disordered person. And that's a tightrope for the, the professional to walk. Um, but it can be an easier process for the non-disordered person, if we have one of those in the case, because they don't have to be in the same room. So intimidation levels, bullying, things like that, they're at least a little removed. And in domestic violence cases, which in the past could hardly ever be mediated safely, we can now mediate domestic violence cases because as long as the victim is in a place where they, it, it, I always make sure that they are literally like with a white wall behind them with no identifying features um, so that it's a completely safe environment. I've had them done where a therapist was in the other room so that if they felt they needed support, we could pause. But that meant that they could avail themselves of mediation as opposed to in the past where these people have always had to go to court because it was the only venue available to them. And so now, you know, mediation has all those benefits we were talking about. Very often litigation is used by abusers, whether they are physical abusers or whether they are mental abusers or whether they are high conflict personalities, the legal process ends up being another one of their weapons. Yes. Um, they file ridiculous motions. They drag you into court. They lie. And all those things go on, but you still have to participate. Uh-huh. And yeah, so absolutely. mediation, yeah, mediation yep. is an alternative that is actually in many cases beneficial to the victims. This is so, this is totally news to me. And, yeah. um, and I feel bad that I didn't know this about your work, Susan, but I, I, this is really, honestly, um, very illuminating for me because my assumption um, has always been that you can only mediate with someone that you're at least cordial with um, and that you can mediate with someone that's high conflict or abusive and that it actually is a safer environment for that. That's literally mind-blowing news to me. Well, and it's, it's, you know, I hadn't actually, when I first started doing online mediation, I was doing my usual mediations for, you know, people who were getting divorced. And then um, the director in Connecticut of the Center for Family Justice saw what I was doing online and reached out to me. And it was her idea to see if I would tr- help some of their um, victims. They, they are a, um, a wonderful, wonderful organization that is uh, in Bridgeport, Connecticut, that helps um, victims of domestic violence and abuse. And it, it was an eye-opener for me as well. This is a few years ago now down the road. But it, it was so heartening to realize that just by 
taking a model, the mediation model, and finding a different format for it online, we could now expand the benefits of mediation to entire populations that in the past really had not had that benefit and actually were victimized further in the court system, which is something that I had seen, you know, forever. So absolutely. Yeah. It's really been helpful. That's just amazing, actually. Yeah, I'm now actually getting ready to go to New Mexico, and I'm going to be training the courtside mediators in the New Mexico court system in how to do mediations online. Um, And they're interested in doing that for a few reasons. One is which, you know, it's a huge state and people are spread out. So just getting people to come into one place for a mediation can be very difficult. Um, But also a lot of courtside mediation is the domestic violence, is the high conflict, are the people who can't afford, um, you know, to hire a private mediator or something like that. So they're going to have court um, mediators who are available to people through an online platform. So I applaud them, you know, greatly for being so open-minded and looking for a way, you know, we call it access to justice, right? It's another way for people to access the judicial system or a branch of it in a pot, in a way that, you know, hopefully is going to bring about a resolution without having to resort to a courtroom. And it's beneficial to the court as well, because, you know, as I said earlier, you, there's usually a couple of judges to hear hundreds of cases. Mm-hmm. They just don't have the time. Right. I mean, it's just, that's why the whole system is bogged down. So amazing. It really is. I mean, that, that just like, <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> So now, now, um, now everyone is going to come to you. Like literally everyone, everyone in my Facebook group and everything else. <laughs> be like, call Susan, call Susan. She'll fix it. Well, if um, I, it's, it's one of those things, right? That these days what I'm mainly doing is mediating. And then I'm doing a lot of legal coaching, which is training, helping yeah. clients who are going through high conflict divorces or, um, other situations where, because again, mediation is voluntary. So if you can't using the tools we talked about earlier, get your ex to come to the table in mediation. Then I work with people helping them at least navigate the court system, navigate the, their ex, um, in a way that hopefully at least gets them through it quickly because your life in the court system, your life is in limbo. Yes. You, you know, it's just a constant, I, I always call it Dante's eighth ring of hell that he didn't write about in, you know, the Inferno because, <laughs> and I can just see, divorce I feel court. like they didn't yeah. have divorce court when he wrote that book. So <laughs> it's right. Yeah. Them. Back then they just killed the spouse if they didn't right, want them, exactly, but, you know, right. <laughs> threw them in a pit. Chop but off their head. Now there's problems with that approach. So yeah. But, <laughs> It is, it is really a horrible experience going through that time of unknown, yeah. of seeking court orders or trying to get finality and working with this hard, you know, high conflict person or in this difficult situation. And so still being able to navigate it with assistance, with someone who understands the system, I understand what the court can order, what you can ask for to try and help you, how you can move things through faster. So I do a lot of that as well. Yeah. Um, be, just, you know, my goal is always to try and help people get out of court or get out of the system and get back to their lives. Yes. Amen. Amen yeah. to that. I mean, you know, you went through it. Even if you went through a collaborative, yeah. the divorce process itself is just, you don't know until it's done, it you don't know how it's going to end up, right. and that's that's a hard time. That's a hard place to live for any extended limbo period is, of time. And limbo is hard for anybody. You know, it's that that in between stage of just not having answers and not having not being settled and not. It's just yeah. Very, well, it's, it's very actually difficult. it's the same thing for your specialty. Should I stay or should I go? Oh God, that's. Yeah a horrible limbo. It's yep. usually the limbo you live through before you get to the limbo I'm talking about, right? right? Exactly. And then you feel like you've been in limbo for fucking ever. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yes. And you have. Yeah, and you then have. when your divorce litigation yeah. takes two years to process, which in California is not even out of you know the ordinary. Right. Um, Connecticut, it's at least a year if it's a contested case, if not more. Um, 
you know, that's just, that's a crazy amount of time to be living under the stress. I was talking to someone just yesterday who was talking about, it takes you as long to recover from stress as it does, like as the the amount of time you're living under the stress. Yes. So if your divorce took two years, it's going to take you two years after that to really process and, and get back to your yourself. It's not, people always expect it's, oh, the divorce oh, is final. Fine. I'm done. Now I'm good. Right. No. So not. So not. No wonder, <laughs> no wonder I'm still reeling. <laughs> um, Susan, and you have a podcast too. I do. I love, I love my podcast. You're actually a guest on it soon. So I'm excited by the time this airs, it might've been uh, right. Probably by the time this airs, mine has aired on yours. Yes. Yes. Go find it and tell us what, tell us what your podcast is called. It's called Divorce and Beyond, and it's really, um, I do want to bring people information and sort of my insider view of the divorce process, my 30 years of experience, but I also, as we've just been talking about, I really think divorce is a finite time in your life, or God, I hope it is, and I really want to give people tools as well to, to live their life well beyond divorce. So divorce and beyond. And I have some wonderful guests like you um, and experts who share their time and experience with, uh, with my listeners. So um, it's, I, I very much enjoy it. You can find it at divorceandbeyondpod.com. Excellent. Susan, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast and sharing your incredible mind-blowing wisdom. Like I learned so much today. <laughs> Well, that's what you know what they say, lawyers, we can talk all day. So <laughs> thank well, you so much for having me. I really enjoy I always enjoy talking with you, Kate. Me too. Thank you so much, Susan. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide Podcast. If you like what you hear, head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in and leave me a review. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at The Divorce Survival Guide. I'll see you next time. And until then, remember, you, my love, deserve to be happy.